Well, good morning. So if you're not awake now, you're dead. I'm not going to spend any time trying to wake you up. Hey, it's kind of fun. We've been doing this series that Gary started or had me start called Crazy Bible. And the Bible just is full of some crazy, crazy things. Things like, you know, if someone is your enemy, you're supposed to love them. Like, that's hard for us, isn't it? Be honest. How many of you are like me? You read that and you're like, yeah, but God, there's this one. Right? Like, I don't want to love them. I want to punch them. Like, my, my favorite thing to do is, invi- like, I visualize a lot. Like, that's my, my sermon prep technique is I visualize. If I'm driving, I visualize what those of you that can't drive like to pull out in front of people. I visualize what you might do so that I can visualize avoiding running over you. But what I really visualize with my enemies is my favorite move, the throat punch. <laughs> but the Bible says if we're going to a, live a crazy life and we're going to do something crazy, then we should love those people, which is kind of like, God, do you know them? And then he's like, yeah, I know them, like I created them. And then we have to be like, why? I mean, I know some people that are kind of like the mosquitoes. Like, what was he thinking there? Right? But nonetheless, we've been doing this series called Crazy Bible, and we've talked about why we don't live a crazy life, why we should live a crazy life. And so today we're going to look at how to live a crazy life. And I've got to be honest with you, there's nothing profound that I'm going to say today. In fact, I hope it makes sense. There's nothing profound about it. It's going to sound really easy. And you're going to think, you're going to walk out of here today and be like, man, I got up and gave up the lake for that. But the reality is, there's nothing profound, but if we do these things, we will live a crazy life and we will experience something that everybody around us really doesn't experience because they're just kind of living a normal life. And Gary's talked the last couple of weeks about how normal is boring. Beyond boring, normal doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Would you agree? I mean, the last few weeks, I get to drive through several towns and this little deal that I'm doing, this little job that I have. And so I drive through Chattanooga twice a day, every day. Once in the morning, once in the evening. As a side note, people in Chattanooga can't drive. That's beside the point. People in Atlanta can't drive either. That's beside the point. But I drive through and I, and I see these cars and there's people going back and forth to work every day. And it's like, man, that's got like, it, you just wonder. Like I'm that guy who I'm sitting in traffic because somebody up in front of us couldn't drive and they had a wreck and now three lanes have gone to one lane and nobody knows how to do that. So you'll sit there and you look at each other and you're just kind of like, and I look for the people who are picking their nose because you want to look at them and make eye contact. Like, I know what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? How many of y'all do that? Yeah. How many of y'all are the ones that pick your nose? Don't raise your hand. Um, but nonetheless, I, I, I wonder their story. When I'm watching them, I kind of wonder what their story is. Like, Are you that average person that's in debt up to your eyeballs and go to a job that you hate and you're in a marriage that you're just trying to figure out how to make it work and your kids are rebellious and you're trying to figure out when I get home tonight, am I going to have to have the crown apple or the regular crown? What am I going to have to have to to get through this day? Like I wonder their story and you laugh, but guys, there are more people like that than we want to admit. And the reason is because normal doesn't work. It just doesn't work. 
So in this text we're going to look at in just a minute, let me kind of set the stage for you. Jesus has come along. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5 in just a minute. Let me kind of set the stage. Jesus has come along, and in Matthew chapter 3, he goes to John the Baptist, and he's baptized. And when he's baptized, there's the dove that lands, and there's a voice that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And so that's kind of where we see the, the triune nature of God. And then we kind of rock along, and we get to chapter 4 in Matthew, and Jesus goes through this temptation. And after he goes through this temptation, and he overcomes the temptation of the enemy using the word of God. Then we get into Matthew chapter 5. And Matthew chapter 5 begins something called the Sermon on the Mount, which is the, the largest discourse, the largest sermon that Jesus ever gave that's recorded in Scripture for us. And so we're going to look through some of that. But what Jesus did, let me kind of set the stage. Matthew wrote his gospel to a predominantly Jewish audience. So let me kind of tell you about this Jewish audience. This Jewish audience was a group of people who had been in bondage to the Romans at this time for quite some time. In fact, they, they were in bondage and they kind of got to live their normal life, kind of like they got to practice their religion like they always did. And they, they got to, to kind of live in their homeland, but they really weren't free because they had to pay taxes. And I'm not making a reference to, never mind. I'm not making a reference to what we have to do every year on a, April 15th. But they really weren't free because they had to pay taxes to the Romans. And, and when they had to pay taxes to the Romans, anything that they wanted to do, they had to get permission from, and they got extorted by the Romans. And so the Jewish people had been looking for and longing for the Messianic king to come. They, were, they remembered and had been taught that there was a, a king in the lineage of David who was going to come and who was going to set them free. And they were going to no longer be slaves or servants to someone else, but they were going to live this abundant life that God had promised them. And so they're, they're longing for that. And what they have seen for generations is the righteousness of the Pharisees. They'd seen that pompous arrogance of religious superiority that we see after church when we go to the restaurants on Sunday. Talk to a server and ask them what the worst crowd is to serve. It's the Baptist at 12.30. And here's why. It's not the server's fault. It's the preacher's fault because he preached till 12.30. Now the people in the chairs, the people in the pews, they're so mad and so angry and upset, they take it out on the server. And they think to themselves that somehow they're better than the server because they went to church that morning. They don't know that the server's a single mom with three kids. She's trying to make ends meet, go to school full time, work two jobs, and trying to make it all happen. And she's there to serve them their meal, and they're whining and complaining because they didn't get their tea filled fast enough. But I digress. Normal ain't working. Normal ain't working. And so the Jews had been looking at the Pharisees and their religious superiority, and they'd, they realized that they would never make it, and they would never attain, and it could not be a citizen of the kingdom because they just weren't good enough. But then Jesus comes along, and he's at the Sermon on the Mount, and when he comes to the Sermon on the Mount and begins to talk, he does something completely different than what was expected. What he does is he goes up on the mountain, and he sits down. We'll read this in a minute. He goes up, and he sits down, which was kind of the... The normal way of teaching back in the day, like a Pharisee would come, or, or a, 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 a leader would come in, a, a teacher would come in and sit down, a priest would sit down to teach instead of standing up like we do. We do it for different, we stand now for different reasons, but it's mainly acoustic and visual purposes. But he sat down, and when he sat down, he began to teach. And when he began to teach, he did something that was quite different. He didn't say, you have to attain worth to be a citizen of the kingdom. Instead, he starts telling them things that are completely different than what the Pharisees would do. He talks about humility. He talks about being poor in spirit. He talks about those who mourn. He talks about things that the Pharisees would shun. Does that sound like 
the religious culture in which we live today. Like we have this idea today. How many? Okay, time out. Am I the only one who's ever experienced this? You go to church and somebody talks about humility and then the preacher in the back or some deacon or some Sunday school teacher who's taught Sunday school for 57 years and still teaches fourth graders that she can't hear or see gets a pen or an award for having perfect attendance for the last 57 years. And those fourth graders are just hoping she'll be sick. Right? Am I the only? And then we feign humility when they give that, oh, I'm just trying to serve Jesus. You let that little old blue-haired lady, somebody take her pew and see what happens. Am I right? I have seen little old blue-haired ladies look at guests and say, you're in my seat. Like, come on, Felicia, take a break. There's 12 empty rows behind you. You couldn't hear from them either. But Jesus comes in and, and it's, he's not talking about a fake humility. He talks about genuine humility. You know, genuine humility is when we count ourselves as less than others. And so we kind of get in this text, and Jesus begins this sermon, and he does it, and it's crazy. It's completely different than what the world would think. He doesn't tell people to punch their enemies in the throat. And he doesn't tell people that if you want to attain wealth, that you should hoard everything that you have. In fact, he says if you want to attain wealth, you, you need to give something away. How many of you are scared because we're secure in what we, what we do, are we not? But at times when God calls us to give something away, what's the first thing? But if I give this away, what's the, what do we say? What's going to happen next, right? Well, here's the deal. That's faith. That's trust in the Lord. Say, I don't know what's going to happen, but God, I'm going to give this away and see what God does with it. You ever notice that God can do more with what we give Him and what He leaves with us than we can do if we keep it all? Y'all ever notice that? I don't know if y'all have noticed that. Y'all should notice that. Matthew chapter 5, he begins his Sermon on the Mountain. So he says, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, the disciples are not the twelve. It's all the crowds coming around. And he begins this, this message. And he says, then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So the time out right there. Stop. They want to know what it's, the, the Jews are wanting to know what it takes to become a citizen of the kingdom. And here's what he says. Those who are poor in spirit... The kingdom of heaven is there. So he's beginning by saying, by answering the question. He's telling them, hey, this is completely different. This is crazy. You want to know how to be a, a kingdom citizen? Here you go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for, theirs, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, because they will inherit the earth. Now, I, I read that for years and wondered, inherit the earth? Man, like, there's a lot of junk in this earth. If y'all... Right, like I don't know that I want to inherit the earth unless I get to sell it. I don't really want to inherit it because there's a lot of junk in the earth. What he means, they will inherit the earth. They will inherit the new kingdom, the new heaven, and the new earth. In other words, they're going to be kingdom citizens. And so keep keep rocking along. And he says, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy." That. You know, like in every Baptist church I've ever been in, there was a Lord's Supper table down here, a little communion table, and it had engraved, this do in remembrance of me. It should have this engraved instead. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Maybe y'all haven't been in the churches I've been in. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. That's not talking about a Colt 45. Although there may be times, though, never mind. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer for, food, for good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And I'm going to give you guys four things. We're going to the house because some of y'all want to go start barbecuing or going to the lake or swimming or whatever. And so I'm going to give you four quick things for how to live a crazy life. The first one is this, live for an audience of one. Jesus comes in, and all he's worried about is doing the will of the Father. Jesus comes in, and all he cares about, he doesn't care about the religious establishment. He doesn't care about the scribes and the Pharisees. He doesn't care about those things. Now, he followed the law. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. He, he fulfilled the law, so don't, don't, don't get twisted what I'm saying. What I am saying is he lived for an audience of one. His goal was to do everything the Father had told him to do. If you remember, if you've heard the story, when Jesus was a child, his family had gone to the temple, and after they had left the temple and, and began their journey home, everybody starts looking around it's like, where's Jesus? I don't know. I thought you had him. No, I thought you had him. No, I don't know where he is. They go back to the temple. They find Jesus sitting there with all the elders and the, and the priests, and he's talking to them and, and teaching them. And they look at him and they're like, Jesus, where are you? It's totally different than when we say that. Some of y'all get that in the morning. Jesus, where are you? And, they, and he looks at him, he's like, didn't you know that I had to be about what? My father's business. His one goal in life was to please the father. That's all he cared about was living for an audience of one, pleasing the father. Now, kind of a funny little side note on that. Not that my kids are Jesus, but when you have five of them, I may have left one or two at church <laughs> before and not realized it until I got home. They lived. I mean, I thought, anyway, all he cared about was pleasing the Father. Now, it's easy for us to say we want to live for an audience of one. And, and Gary talked about this a little bit last week when he talked about the criticism that we, that we face. We face criticism when we do what God is calling us and telling us to do. When God says, hey, cancel the cable so you can control your finances, or when God says, hey, you know what, why don't you cook at home a few times instead of eating out every night so you can control your finances? I know, I'm starting to meddle now. Like the dudes were getting mad at me about canceling the cable because they don't want to give up their UFC, their NFL, their college football, and all that stuff. They don't want to give that up. I start talking about cooking, and now the ladies are like, uh-uh, nope, you don't know my story. You're right. I don't know your story. I don't know your struggle. Maybe it's cheaper for you. Maybe you won't burn down the house. I don't know. But I'm saying if God tells you to cook at home and not eat out quite as much and save, control your finances, like that's hard to do because then your people around you, your peers will start saying, well, come on, go out. Come go out with us tonight. And you're like, no, we're not going to go out. We're going to go home and we're going to eat the meal that I have planned and budgeted and prepared for. Awesome. What are you cooking? Raymond noodles. You can't mess that up. Nope. There is someone in this room who shall remain nameless, but she's over there. And she cannot cook Raymond noodles without a recipe. She can't boil water without a recipe. 
I love her, but bless my mother's heart. Some of y'all are looking right now trying to figure out which one's his mama. It'll be the one beating me when this is over. Okay? But live for an audience, <laughs> live for an audience of one. Don't care about what everybody else says. Do what God is calling you to do. Make pleasing Him the highest priority. You want to live a crazy life? Then make living to please God the highest priority of your life. We, and Gary said this, we buy stuff and do things and go places to impress people we don't like. Forget not knowing. If we knew them, we wouldn't like them. How many of you can be around your friends, your BFF, for so long, and then all of a sudden you're like, I got to have some space. I love you, but I got to have some space. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, if your BFF is your spouse and you just raised your hand, that's a whole other sermon. But li live to please an audience of one. And that's hard for me. Most of us, to an extent, and Gary talked about this last week, most of us have an innate desire within us to please those around us. We want to be people pleasers. Now, there are some of you who you just don't care, and there's a different word for you, but most of us, we want to be people pleasers. And the reason we want to be people pleasers, get, check this out. God designed us with the express purpose of worship, worshiping Him. And when we are not worshiping Him like we should, then we've replaced worshiping the God that we cannot physically see with trying to please those who we can physically see. And it's a form of idolatry when we're trying to please everyone around us rather than living to please an audience of one. A lot of us say that we want to please an audience of one. I play for an audience of one. I just do. But experience some criticism, what's the first thing we do? Start questioning. Are we back up? Are we like, well, if I... No, literally live to please the Lord. Jesus didn't, let, Jesus didn't let criticism stop him from doing what the Father called him to do. Jesus didn't walk up on this mountain, have a seat, and start saying, now everything the Pharisees have told you is right. In fact, his harshest, his harshest rebukes came to the religious. His harshest rebukes came to those who had elevated their own self-worth. He lived for an audience. Well, he said, guys, you got this all twisted. He said, if you want to live a crazy life, live to please the Father. Live to please the Father. Okay, well, how do we do that? That's the first question we've got to ask. That sounds great, Grady, but how do I live to please the Father? Are you ready? This is where it's not going to be profound. You've got to get tunnel vision. You've got to get a tunnel vision that is so intense. And, and by the way, time out, time out. I can tell you all this, and this is the hardest thing for me to do. I admit that what I'm saying right now, when I say you, I mean me, because this is hard for me. But we've got to get tunnel vision. And we got to say, you know what? We're going to do it. A year ago, a little over, right about a year ago, I, came, I started coming here to Action Church. I sat back in the corner. Um, I'd come in as late as I could get in. Not as late as some of you, but... Because I have this thing about being on time. Like, I can't be late anywhere. Like, it bothers me. Some of you, I've noticed it doesn't. Which is great. I think it's awesome. Because you just don't care. And I think that's amazing. I wish I could get there. So I'd come in kind of late, and I would leave as soon as Gary, like, prayed. I'd be gone. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I, want to, I was going through some junk. didn't want to talk to anybody. didn't want to see anybody. I came to worship. I came to hear the message and to get out of here. But I noticed one particular day there was someone who came in and, and had probably had a rough night. 
was still probably feeling the effects of that rough night the next morning. What I loved was that there were some ladies who came down and got and put their arm around that young lady and hung out with her. They stood there and they worshiped with her. She danced, they danced. And it was kind of like being at a Baptist church because they were clapping on the ones and threes instead of the twos and fours, but that's okay. Because what I loved was they didn't care. And they lived to love that person where they were. What I mean by that is when we live to please an audience of one, we get tunnel vision so, so much that we understand that our most important thing that we can do on this planet is worship the God who created us and the way that we can worship him best is not just by singing with our mouths but by letting our lives be a reflection of that worship where we live to please him and we see people who are in positions where they're hurting and they're down and they're downtrodden and they're outcast and they're the people nobody else wants and that's the people we love that's the people we love Every time I would go interview for a church, and this is going to be on the podcast, and there are, going to be people who, there are going to be people who listen to this on the podcast later today, and they're going to hear me say this, and they're going to call me a liar. My mother's been at every church I've been on staff at. She will tell you that what I'm fixing to tell you is the truth. Every time I would go interview for a church as a youth pastor, they would say, tell us kind of your style of ministry. And I would look them square in the eye and say, I want the kids nobody else wants. Because I learned something a long time ago. You go get the football player. You go get the, the star quarterback, if you will. Nobody cares about Jesus. They care about hanging on to his coattails. That's all they care about. We started every time. And, and they would all look at me and say, oh, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's who we want. We want the kids nobody wants. No, you don't. Because the kids that nobody wants, let me tell you about those kids. Most of them come from broken homes, so you only get them 50% of the time. The kids nobody wants, most of them have got a background or a past that everybody in your church, your little good, clean Christian youth group, they already know about their background, their past. They already know why they got arrested. They already know who they slept with last week. They already know those things about them. And you start bringing them into a church, and now you've got little mamas coming to you saying, why are you bringing so-and-so around my daughter? How come your daughter hadn't told so-and-so about Jesus? How come your daughter hadn't given so-and-so some hope other than what she's doing with the dude she was doing with last night or last week? Mamas don't like that. Mamas want to keep their youth group nice and clean so they can raise their kids in a good, clean Christian environment. But then they send them to public school. Now, if that's not a little paradoxical, you with me? When we get tunnel vision and we live to please an audience of one, we don't care the baggage, the background, or anything else. I, you know, the first time I preached here, I was standing back there, and I was going to come out, and I was going to say something to the effect of, man, the first time I came here, I didn't need a pastor, I need a friend, and Gary was a friend. But when Gary came out here to introduce me, he said something to this effect. Yeah, Gary started coming here six, four or five months ago, came in, told me a story. I looked at him, and I didn't care. It's not that I didn't care, I just don't care which really kind of messed up my introduction. Because how do you say, I just needed a friend, and then he was like, I didn't care. So it kind of, it, it, you're tracking it, just it kind of threw things off. But I've learned over the last year what he meant. What he means is I don't care. Because here's the reality. Every person outside these walls, every person who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus is someone for whom Jesus died to pay the penalty of their sins and someone who needs the relationship with Jesus. And if we're going to live to please an audience of one, that means we can't see their baggage, see their past, see their present. we got to see their future. 
And their future is either a Christless eternity or somebody's got to tell them about Jesus. Why not be us? And we got to not care about what anybody else says. I love coming here. I've decided that when I come to Action Church, if I'm really going to fit in here at Action Church, a couple of things have to happen. I have to get more sleeveless shirts, more tattoos, and a motorcycle. <laughs> I'm working on some of that. I'll, tell you, I'll let you all figure it out later which ones it is. But my point being, guys, I, I, I say that in jest. Please know I say that in jest, except for some of it. But, but in all sincerity, and you guys don't care. Where it, I mean, you guys don't care. I mean, by the way, the song that we sang before I came out to preach, it's a pretty good indication you don't care. <laughs> How do I follow that? Like, I just, uh, I got my jeans and my boots on, and I'm going to follow Let There Be Rock. Good luck, right? Live to please an audience of one by getting a tunnel vision that's so intense that you can't, see the, you can't see the junk on the outside. You can't see the junk, the criticism, things like that. You want to live a crazy life? Get some tunnel vision. But the second thing, if you're going to live a crazy life, is not just to live for an audience of one, but you've got to know your why. You've got to know your why. Most of us, we wander through life something like this. If you were to Google... One of, the, one of the questions that's most prominent Christian question or something to that extent, that you're going to find this. I've seen it. Oh, my goodness. You ready? Former youth pastor. Go to youth camp. Come back. Kids are on a spiritual high. Go to a D-Now weekend. Come back. Kids are on a spiritual high. You're just trying to make it because you didn't sleep for the last three days. If it's camp, you didn't sleep for the last week. You're trying to keep kids from getting pregnant because you don't want to take a kid home and nine months later, the mama that sent them with you is now a grandma and you're trying to explain that to them. Y'all laugh. I'm being serious. You've got to know your why. Those kids would come back after those spiritual high experiences and this is the question that we got to ask most often. And I pick on teenagers, but... I'm doing that because I've discovered something. You ready? We're just teenagers with less hair up here and more gray down here. It's the same thing over and over again. Okay? Ready? Here's the question. How do I know God's will for my life? Like, I want to please Jesus, but how do I know what God wants me to do? What is God's will for my life? You ready? I'm going to tell you God's will for your life. Simple. <clears throat> Ready for this? It's profound. Therefore, whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, do all for the glory of God. That's God's will for your life. It's not profound. Like, we think sometimes that God wants me to go be Tim Tebow so I can fail at two sports. My point is this, guys, I love Tim Tebow. He's a winner at everything he does. I'm not picking on him. But let me, let me say this. 
we think that God, we have, that God has this plan to put us in this platform to impact the millions. Can I tell you, God doesn't want us to impact the millions. God wants us to impact the ones that he's put in our circle. And to impact the ones he's put in our circle, therefore, whether we eat or whether we drink, do everything for the glory of God. It doesn't matter if you're a, a, a plumber. It doesn't matter if you're an engineer. It doesn't matter if you're a truck driver. It doesn't matter what your role of profession is. Your identity as a child of God is one who does everything we do to... Please the Father. It's one we do. Our why should be to bring glory to God. In fact, it says that in here. Therefore, he goes on and says, let, let everyone see your good works so they may what? Glorify your Father who's in heaven. By the way, we're going to get back to... I'm, I know I'm getting out of order. Just track with me. Let them see your good works so they may glorify your Father who's in heaven. Now, I hate to harp on something that we've talked about a lot, but let me harp on it anyway because that's just what preachers do. Um... Most people would acknowledge that there's a drug problem in our community. What are they doing about it? Arresting people? Putting them in jail? What does that do? Is there still a problem? I'm crazy, but I was once told that the definition of insanity is to continue doing the same thing, yet expecting different results. So if what we're doing is not working, then let's try something different. And if that doesn't work, you know what we do? We try something different. But we don't keep doing the same old, same old, and expect something else to happen, because we're going to keep getting the same results. Right? So know your why. Our why is to bring glory to the Father, to let people see our good works and glorify the Father. The problem with this in most churches is that we consider that our good works is what we do on Sunday morning and when we put on a service for the community to show up to. By the way, have you ever noticed that in most churches it's not the community showing up, it's the same old faithful four that showed up last week? So if we're going to do something so that they, they may see our good works, that, act, that actually has to indicate that we have to be doing what? Some good works. So it's not enough to put on a sign, love God, love people, and expect people to show up and experience God's love. Instead, it probably sounds better if we say love God, love people, and what? Take action. That means we actually do something. That means, oh my goodness, do you know what a burden it is for us to put together all of these book bags to give out to these school children in our community? Do you know how much work that takes? Why is it that we whine more about the work? I mean, listen, I know people who will go to, go to their homes and they will manicure their grass. Their grass. Now listen, I like having a pretty yard as well. I do. That's why I have five children. <laughs> Cuts the work in half. Or in fifths. It's a joke. They don't cut the grass either. But we'll spend more time doing things that have literally zero eternal value or literally do not value the life of another person at all. But we won't invest in someone's life because it might, we might get our hands dirty. Like if we're going to know our why, like I, when I said earlier that I want to reach the kids that no one else reaches, I want to reach the adults that no one else wants to reach, like that's not, like I, I legitimately mean that. Like, what, what the, 
I don't have a favorite Bible verse. Someone asked me that one time, what's your favorite verse? I don't really have one. Here's why. Every time I read the Bible, whatever I'm reading at that time becomes my favorite one. But some of my favorite stories in the Bible, if you will, some of my favorite stories in the Bible are when Jesus goes to the people that nobody else wanted. Like in John chapter 4, the woman in Samaria who's at the well, and she goes to the well in the middle of the day because she's been outcast from her society. Because see, what would happen is people, women would go to the well early in the morning while the water was still cool. Because if you waited until midday to go to the well, the water's now lukewarm. And what does Jesus say about lukewarm water in Revelation? That it's, it's like it makes you want to vomit because it's tepid and it's just gross, right? She goes in the middle of the day. Now the water's not just lukewarm. It's even warm because it's noon. And, and so she goes there because she doesn't want to experience the outcast. And she doesn't want to experience the name calling that she experienced at church. I mean, at the well that morning. And I love what Jesus says to her. Woman, give me something to drink. That's not like Paige Patterson saying that. Um, that's, that's completely different. But Jesus says, woman, give me something to drink. And he said, she says, what are you talking to me for? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. She kind of gets all messed up on some stuff. And, and now, now... Jesus has an opportunity to talk to her, and she even says, how is it that you, being a Jew, were talking to me, a Samaritan? And he says, if you knew who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked of him, and I would give you living water for the kind of which you would never thirst again. And get this, what does she say? Sir, give me this water. Jesus goes to the one that nobody else wanted. The last time I was here, I preached about the woman caught in adultery, and, and what I loved about that, that text is that Jesus doesn't immediately say stoner, let's just, let's just get rid of her because of her baggage or because of her sin. Instead, he draws something in the ground and says, where are your accusers? I don't have any. Well, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. He extended grace to her. Jesus goes to the people nobody else wants. He calls Matthew to be his disciple. Matthew was a Jewish tax collector who would have been hated by the Jews because they would have seen him as a turncoat, as one who tra- was a traitor because he was collecting taxes for the hated Romans. And so Matthew is called to be a disciple. And then I look at Peter who denies Jesus three times. But then in John chapter 20 and 21, Peter goes, or Jesus goes to Peter and restores him and says, I've still got work for you to do. He goes to the people nobody wants. If we're going to know our why, shouldn't our why be something like Jesus' why and to go to the people nobody wants? Well, those people won't listen to us. How do you know they listen to Jesus? Maybe if we approach them more like Jesus where we listen to their story like he did with the woman at the well and then we offer them something that's better than what they already have instead of throwing stones at them for the sin in their life. Have you ever noticed most people already know when they have sin in their life? Like I'm not going to raise my arm too much because I probably have sweat stains hanging down to here because I don't perspire. I pour. How many of you noticed though don't how many of you have noticed that people don't need to be told that they're sinning? Right? Like when you sin, do you need to be told? No. You know just like I do. Don't you? Oh, now you're meddling. You're talking about somebody else. Now you talking about me. Uh-uh. We know when we sin. Guess what? Lost people know that as well. People who don't know Jesus, they know that as well. So know your why. Jesus knew his why. His why was to please the Father. Jesus knew that he was here teaching these people, these, this audience, what it was like to be, what it meant to be a citizen of the kingdom. So know your why. The third thing I'm going to tell you, super simple, super, super simple, but it's, this is the hardest thing for us to do. It's 
hardest thing for me to do, probably. Probably the hardest thing for some of you to do. There's going to be somebody that comes up to me afterwards, and you're going to tell me this is the easiest thing for you, and I'm going to tell you you're more spiritual than I am. Feast on the Word. Feast on the Word. That's not profound. That's easy. We just read the Bible. That should be simple. We should do that every day. How many of you will acknowledge that you don't read the Bible every day? How many of you have good intentions to read the Bible every day? But something happens, right? Let me, let me, when I say feast on the Word, if you go back to Matthew chapter 4 and you see Jesus' temptation, you find that all three times he was tempted, he countered the temptation with quoting Scripture. That's a, that's a great lesson for us. Every temptation you and I face there is a counter for it in Scripture. You say, well, how do, I, how do I get started feasting on the Word? Okay, well, it's really cool. There's this app called YouVersion. Every day, they will send you the verse of the day. All you have to do is sign up for it on your, on your smartphone, and they'll send you a verse every day. It may or may not apply to your situations, but start there. Sign up for it. Don't do what I did. Somehow along the way, I got messed up, and I set mine to send me the verse of the day at 3.33 every morning. I can't figure out how to change it. I'm not that smart. But at 3.33 every morning, my phone, ding! My phone goes on silent now because I can't hear it vibrate. But listen, start there. But can I tell you something else? There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. Read a proverb a day. Read one chapter of the book of Proverbs a day. Say, that sounds so simple and it sounds formulaic. Can I just tell you that if I'd have done that about two years ago, if I'd have started that 10 or 15 years ago, the issue I went through last year, I probably wouldn't have gone through because I'd have prevented myself from going through that because I'd have been reminded daily not to do the things that I did that got me in the problems. I... Y'all tracking with me? I know I'm not the only one who's got some junk that you wish you had done different. Right? And so read a proverb a day. You say, oh my goodness, that's so long. I don't understand them. Guess what? You don't have to understand them at first. Just read it. The more you read it, you'll start getting it. You didn't understand algebra the first time you did it. Preacher, I still don't understand algebra. Bad example. All right, let me, check, let me back up. You didn't like The Office the first time you watched it because it's the dumbest show on television. But you kept watching all 43 seasons of it on repeat on Netflix because it's hilarious. No, no, it's not. Some of you will come up to me later and you're going to be more offended about the fact that I said The Office is a terrible show than you are about the other things that I've said. The office is terrible. There, I said it. Feast on the Word. It's not enough to just open it on Sunday and read it and think that you're going to make it to the week. If you're going to live a crazy life, you've got to, this, this has got to be your diet. This has got to be your diet. Listen, when I say feast on the Word, I started to use the, the phrase take proper nutrition, but then I realized that I'm a truck driver and I don't do that anymore because um, I eat wherever I can eat now. But... Feast on the Word. When I say feast on the Word, it has to be a conscious habit. Like, it's fun. The guys that I drive with, we get up in the morning and, you know, I'm, I would love to tell you that I'm super disciplined. I'm not. Um, I get up in the morning and the first thing I do is I have to find coffee. Anybody else in that same boat? The guys I drive with, first thing they have to do is find a sausage biscuit. My little apple and I, I get an apple and a cup of coffee, I'm good to go, Right? We're rocking down the road, and they're like, hey, we're going to stop and eat at some, you know, soul food place where they give you a plate that big, and it's $7, you know. That's great. Y'all have your $7, 4,000-calorie plate. I'm going to go eat another apple. 
they say an apple a day keeps the doctor away, so I try to keep like three to five apples a day because I'm thinking maybe that'll help, right? But I, I eat my apples, and the reason that I feast on my apple or my fruit or whatever I'm eating, and by the way, like I, at night, oh, I go eat. I can tell you restaurants that's got all-you-can-eat wings on Mondays and Wednesdays. I get my money's worth, right? Here's a feast on it. In other words, that's a daily, like I feast on my apples. They're a daily part of my life. I don't go a day without my apple. Not because I'm trying to keep the doctor away, just because I've discovered something. Y'all didn't know this, an apple will wake you up better than a cup of coffee will. Try it in the morning and see. If you tell me next week, that's not true, I'm going to tell you, yes it is, it's all in your head. But an apple will wake you up better than a coffee will. And it's cheaper than the whatever it is you pay at Starbucks for their burned coffee. I have an issue with Starbucks coffee. But I can't get a soy latte frappe light skim no bad <laughs> apple. Well, you don't need all that junk at Starbucks either. Feast on the Word. Get in the Word. You want to live a crazy life? Can I tell you that everybody that's in the problems that we're talking about, dead up their eyeballs, marriage falling apart, job they hate, kid, kids are rebellious, everybody who's living that normal life that they're calling crazy, that's really not crazy because everybody's doing it, everybody doing that, they're doing the same thing. They're sitting in line at the drive-thru for Starbucks every day or whatever. It could be McDonald's. Somebody's going to get mad about Starbucks. Could, wherever. They're sitting there. But if you want to be crazy, then feast on the Word and let this be a part of your daily life. Like, I'm just not a morning person. I, that's fine. Don't, don't feast on it in the morning. Feast on it at midday. Feast on it in the evening. I don't care. But if you want to be crazy, live a crazy life, live, read this book. Like, read it. Start with Proverbs. I used to tell kids, kids would ask all the time, where should I start reading the Bible? And people would tell them, I would tell them even, start in the book of John. Don't start in the book of John. The book of John is too hard to understand. Start in the book of Proverbs. Read one proverb a day. One proverb a day for a full month. Now June's going to throw you off. It's not for 30 days. Some of y'all are going to get twisted about that. You're going to be like, what do I do at 31? You read it on 30. Start over in July. All right? It's, it's not hard. Start over and do it over and over. But that's so repetitive. Yep. Have you ever noticed that so is everything else in your life? I bet you set your alarm clock every night when you go to bed, don't you? That's repetitive. I bet you eat breakfast every day or lunch or dinner. That's repetitive, isn't it? But you do it. If you want to live a crazy life, feast on the Word. Last thing I'm going to tell you, super simple, then we're going to go to the house. I say super simple. It's going to sound super simple. Embrace the suck. Embrace the suck. Look at what Jesus says. You're blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because great is your reward in heaven for that's how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Embrace the suck. Listen, if you live this crazy life, if you feast on the word, if you know your why, if you live for an audience of one, there are going to be people around you who are going to call you names. They're going to call you religious zealot. They're going to call you a Jesus freak. They're going to call you all kinds of things. They may even talk bad about you on Facebook for wanting to be creative in how you reach people. Embrace it. Embrace the suck. Embrace the fact that you're going to experience some persecution when you decide to live the crazy life. It's just, it's, it's part of life. I wish I could say it wasn't. I wish I could say that when you live the crazy life, everything's going to be great, but I can't. I can tell you that when we live the crazy life, there's going to be some times that, come, that persecution comes, and there are going to be times that, that you're going to sit back and you're going to wonder, man, is it really worth it? And Jesus says right here, it's really worth it because great is your reward in heaven when they say all kinds of evil against you and fal falsely accuse you. Because, by the way, 
Let me ask y'all some questions. Just by show of hands, clap, I don't care. Has anybody in this community ever said anything negative about Action Church? <laughs> ever said, oh, that cult over there? They ever said anything to the extent of, oh, they just don't care about truth over there. They just do whatever over there. I was here last Sunday. Let me tell you what I heard. In Gary's introduction, I heard this. In my hand, I hold the book, this book, and this book is the Word of God. Every church in this community would agree with that. What they wouldn't agree with is how we flesh it out. What they wouldn't agree with is some of the other junk. But there's been evil said, all kinds of... And here's what he says, embrace it. Jesus said, listen, they talked bad about the prophets who were before you. And when he was talking to the Jewish audience, they, would have, they, they revered the prophets. And so they would have known, hey, you know what, that's right. They did talk bad about the prophets. But look, they were doing God's will. And so if they talk bad about the prophets, and they're going to talk bad about us. If they talk bad about Jesus, they're going to talk bad about us. So you know what? Embrace it. Let's just go do it. If Jesus has called us to go over here and reach this group of people over here, let's go do it. If Jesus has called us to go over here and reach this group of people over here, let's go do it. If people want to talk bad about how we're, what we're doing to reach people, let them stinking talk. Because you know what I've discovered? Most of them, that's all they are anyway. That's all they are anyway. They'd rather talk bad about what we're doing to reach people then they, would, then, then they would put forth the effort that it would take them to reach some people. See, it's easier to point out everybody else's flaws than it is to get in the ring, pun intended, and get your hands dirty. It's easier to point out everybody else's flaws than it is to get in the ring and get your hand dirty. I remember when I was in seminary, you'd go to classes, man, and, and There'd be some hot-button issue that nobody cared about except those in this world of seminary academia. Nobody cares. And there'd be some hot-button, like, doctrinal issue. And all of a sudden, we're, we're bashing other ministers who are reaching people. And the reality is, can I just tell you something? The reality is, most of the bashing is because the people who are doing the bashing want to claim that they're holding to the truth. But the reality is, they're jealous because somebody else is reaching somebody that they hadn't, or they, somebody else had an idea that they didn't have first. And they're jealous because somebody else is getting some platform and some notoriety that they think that they ought to have. Which, by the way, is not living the humble life that we talk about in this passage either. It's about living to exalt themselves and not the one who called them to reach the people. Oh, man. i got to stop before I start a whole other sermon. Can I just tell you, embrace the suck. You want to live a crazy life? Let people talk bad about you. Who cares? I can tell you right now. There are people who don't think that I ought to stand on a stage and preach ever again. There are people that don't think Gary ought to stand on a stage and preach ever again. And you know what those people are doing? While, you, know what, you know what's going to happen while they keep thinking that? I'm going to keep preaching. Gary's going to keep preaching. We're going to keep reaching people. I'm going to keep finding the people with the weirdest tattoos when I go out to a place and ask them about it so I can, ask them, so I can hear their story. You know what I've discovered? That most people get tattoos for a reason. Like there's a story behind it. And you want to get into somebody's world, ask them about their tattoos. Hear their story. Hear their story. See where they are. Get to share with them. I was on staff at a church one time, then I'm going to close. The pastor of the church said, man, if we're going to be reflective of our community, if we're going to reflect the community around us, we need more pickup trucks in the parking lot, more tattoos in the pews, 
and more skull rings in the pants. The reality is he was 100% accurate. If we were going to be, what he meant was, if we're going to reach the people around us, we also needed less teeth, but that was a whole other story. But if we were going to... If we were going to reach the people in the community that God had placed us in, we really did need to look like the community. I mean, that was a true story. And you know what, man? Those same mamas that I was talking about earlier were the ones who said, oh, no, 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 preacher. We got to have suit and tie. You got to wear a suit and tie. And the staff needs to wear a suit and tie on Sunday. And we really would like to have you all in a shirt and tie during the week. I was a youth pastor. You want me in a suit and tie? I'd walk into schools with a shirt and tie on. I look like a narc. <laughs> kids didn't want to talk to me. You know where kids talk to me, though? When I took the shirt and tie off and I went to the weight room with them. You know what? When you, go, when you get in their world, you get around what they're like, then they'll talk to you. But I had to deal with some of that junk from the people in the church. They would say, why do you spend so much time in the weight room with all those kids? And by the way, I was in Memphis during this time, so can I just tell you, when they said with those kids, can I be honest with you for a minute? Those kids wasn't the kid, didn't mean the kids who had a past. It just meant the kids who had a different color skin. Why do you spend so much time with those kids? Because those kids need Jesus. Because those kids got jacked up home lives like yours. The difference is they don't have parents in their lives who fake it like you do in your kid's life. Embrace the suck. You want to live a crazy life? Live for an audience of one. Don't care. Just don't care. Now, by the way, let me, let me give you two quick things about preface for that or about context for that. It's one thing to not care just because you don't care and you're a jerk. It's another thing to not care because you're pleasing the Father. Sometimes in a church like Action Church, it's easy to say, forget y'all, I don't care about everybody else. And we get this image, us against the world. It doesn't need to be us against the world. It needs to be us for Jesus, for the world. Okay? There's a difference. When I say don't care, I don't mean be a jerk. I mean don't care and let it deter you from your mission. When I say know your why, I mean don't care about all this peripheral junk. When I say embrace the suck, it doesn't mean go out and create drama just to get people to look at you and create drama. It means embrace the suck when people talk bad about us because of who we're reaching. Embrace that suck. That's what I mean. There's a difference. Live for nice one. Know your why. Feast on the word. Super simple today. Embrace the suck. Super simple, simply, super easy, but hard to live out. Let's do it.